You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. Genesis chapter 13. We're going to wrap up this chapter today. I love the first line of the song, Tis So Sweet, that we sang this morning. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus says the Lord. Such an assuring um, segment of that song that that we can trust in what God has said. We can trust uh, simply because he said it. Um, We can take him at his word. And we're going to continue that theme this morning uh, as we look into Abram's life, that theme of him learning to trust in the promises of God. Um, And that brings us to Genesis chapter 13 this morning in verse 14. Uh, Last week we saw Abram and Lot uh, separate due to conflict over their possessions. Um, And so... We saw Lot's choice, and today we look at Abram's choice. It says in verse 14, The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Our summary sentence for this morning, where we're going today with our our teaching time. Reviewing the promises of God regularly is a needed discipline for the Christian that hopes to escape the temptations offered by this world. Okay, it's not just enough to, to one time know the promises of God. The implications that we're going to see from Scripture today is that the believer needs to be reminded. He needs to personally review the promises of God regularly. It's a needed discipline in the life of a believer. We talk about Bible study and prayer. Uh, we talk about personal worship, uh, Sunday gatherings, things that a Christian needs to build into his life. It's reviewing the promises of God that also needs to be included in that list. A needed discipline for the Christian if he hopes to escape the temptations offered by this world. We're going to see consistently in Abram's life that God reviews his promises with him. Not so much because Abram has forgotten them. I mean, if God were to pause and stop and say, Abram, what have I already promised you? He would be able to to recall those things. But simply having them in the back of our mind doesn't always translate into daily life. Consistently reviewing those promises, allow those promises to come out when we need them most. When when we're being tried and tested, to be able to react spiritually, react with godly abandonment where we can say, okay, I can approach this situation, I can approach this test or trial or tribulation, I I can go into it trusting in the promises of God. We talked about having to... Uh, to train, to retrain ourselves because our fleshly tendency is to trust in everything but God, to, to, to try to solve situations ourselves. You can see that in scripture. You can see that when uh, the children of Israel in the wilderness and they're being tested with the uh, lack of food, rather than trusting in the promises of God and his provision, they react and start to grumble and complain. You can see that if you read through the book of Kings and the accounts of the different Israelite kings when Other countries seek to attack and want to invade. God is constantly 
having to rebuke those kings because they turned to earthly measures of provision versus trusting him. They'll make alliances. They'll try to work the situation out for themselves rather than coming to him and his provision. And so we talked about the fact that as believers, we have to retrain ourselves. We have to condition ourselves to respond to God's promises. We have to create kind of a a spiritual muscle memory. We talked about muscle memory and how, for me, with football, like we're teaching our guys to act a certain way at a certain time in the game, and we're training them to where it becomes just a natural response. When When they see this lineup in front of them, they know how to react. We want to do that spiritually. We want to train ourselves to react naturally to circumstances that we encounter. And one of the ways that we do that is reviewing the promises of God regularly um, in Scripture. Last week, we had seen that uh, Abram and Lot had to separate. We talked about how Abram handled that situation, that he pursued reconciliation um, with with his nephew. And the way that he pursued that reconciliation is that he relinquished his own rights. When, when he saw that they could not both live in that area any longer, that they were going to continue to butt heads, instead of him telling Lot uh, and his people to leave, that this was his promised land, that he was the promised son, that he was in charge of this area, he said, Lot, you pick, you choose, that he relinquished his rights. And we saw that that, that pattern also applies to us as believers in the New Testament, that we're called to uh, to relinquish our rights at times to pursue peace with others. And so that leads us to to Abram's uh, land now. Lot has chosen. Abram gave up his right to choose first, let Lot choose. Lot chose the best physical land to the eye. We said that he, he looked and his eyes looked upon the land and saw that it was good for his cattle. We saw God's uh, assessment of the land, that it was wicked and evil. We talked about how uh, Lot had chosen what was good for cattle raising versus children raising, that he valued the cattle and providing for his cattle more than he did his children and his family. And we saw that his desire for financial gain ultimately cost his family. Abram, though, is affirmed by God based on how he handled this situation. Um, and we see that here in verse 14. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. God expands upon his promises here to Abram. He's previously made promises in chapter 12 that he's going to make a nation out of him, that he's going to bless him, make his name great. But now he expands upon the expands upon those promises. He he increases Abram's understanding of those promises we saw Lot, and the language is, is very similar, and so I think there's a parallel there that, that Moses wants us to see in how he writes this. We saw that Lot chose to lift his eyes up and to look upon the land in a certain way. Now God instructs Abram to lift up his eyes and look. And you'll note that he's commanded to look in all directions, and he's promised land in all directions. So without a doubt, as Abram is looking out upon the land, he sees Lot's area that Lot chose And God is affirming once again to Abram, that land, as well as everything else that you can see, is yours and your descendants. So even though he relinquished his rights to Lot, he's still grounded upon the promises that God is going to give him all this land, that it's been promised to him and his descendants. God is establishing a principle here that we see in other parts of Scripture. 
a principle for believers that what they give up is ultimately what they will gain. God establishes a principle for believers that what they give up is ultimately what they will gain. We've seen already in Matthew 19 and looking at uh, this account of Abram that God assures us that believers, when they give up uh, family, they recoup family in, in a spiritual sense. That even though the gospel oftentimes divides physical families, that it allows us to enter into a spiritual family where we reap the benefits of mothers and fathers and, and brothers and sisters that are a part of the both the global church and the local church. In Philippians 4.19, in the context here, Paul is talking about a church that has made financial sacrifice. They've collected money to give to him as a missionary. And, and Paul's grateful for it, but it's also the context where he says, I've learned to be content whether I have a ton or whether I have very little. But he says, I'm thankful for your gift. I'm thankful for your gift because it's a testimony that the Holy Spirit's working in you to where you have a loose grip on your stuff. And then he assures these people that if given sacrificially to him, in verse 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now, the prosperity gospel deviates from this and begins to make false assumptions that that giving to God and, and sacrificing for God is some type of worldly investment where God rewards and, and gives back in, in uh, abundance physical possessions. At times that may happen. At times God may uh, respond to someone's giving by blessing them further with financial gain. That assurance is not given to us in Scripture. What is given to us in Scripture as God's children is that he is faithful to supply our needs. And oftentimes what we don't realize is what we need is spiritual resources versus physical resources. Because he, he highlights here, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We know in Ephesians chapter 1 that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. Um, and so specific promises may be not contained here. But the principle that is being taught and God is establishing early in the book of Genesis. Remember, this is progressive revelation. So God is revealing to us who he is. He's establishing a principle here that what we give up is ultimately what we gain. We, we, we give our life to gain our life, right? Um, and, and that's a principle that God continues to unfold in Scripture. And it's true for Abram here. He, he relinquished his rights to the land only to turn around and find God giving it right back to him. Um, it's a principle that, that, that's found all through Scripture, that we give and God is constantly providing for us as his children. Abram had ultimately not lost family or land as God intended to give both right back to him. You can see this in how God communicates this promise. I mean, think about Abram. He, he packed up everything and left his home to go to a land that God has promised. He didn't follow through with it completely because God told him to leave family behind, but he brought his dad that bogged him down and he brought his nephew that has now caused conflict. But he, he had his wife come with him and he said, honey, we're, we're leaving because there's great promises given to us by God. And, and we're going to go, and God's going to give us a great land and he's going to make a great nation out of us. And, you know, at this point in the story, he doesn't have any descendants. Lot is probably his, his next in line to inherit what he does have. So at this point in the story, Abram is trusting God, but he watches his, 
his closest relative that would probably inherit everything if he were to die right now, leave and take the best portion of the land. And so he turns back to his wife and, and Sarah's tendency may have been to say, we got no kids, we got no descendants, and now we've lost the best portion of the land. You told me to leave and follow you, and this is not working out the way that I anticipated. And God follows up, expanding upon his promises here, and he says, I'm going to give you all the land that you can see, and I'm going to make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. So while Abram may feel like he's given up family, he's given up the land, what he turns around to find is that God's giving both back to him in abundance. God promises land to him. Oh, we'll get to that point. You can go ahead and copy that down if you want to. God promises land to him. Um, At this point, he's revealing specific land. You'll remember Abram was called to leave to go to a land. God is now giving him specific indications as to where that land is. He's, He's tying it to a specific location now. But he's also communicating to him that it's a forever land. That this isn't just temporary. That this land is being gifted to you forever. And we see Israel at times being vomited out of the land and then being brought back into the land. That they're constantly tied to the land, both in biblical times and even in modern day times. Uh, It seems that no one can really vanquish Israel from that area. And that's tied to some of these promises that God has contained here. That the land belongs to his people. It's probably best to understand the land long term, though, in its ultimate fulfillment in Revelation 21. And Lord willing, after we're done with Genesis, we'll be heading to Revelation. Uh, But in Revelation 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. You continue to read through that passage there and what you see is is a picture of heaven and earth coming together and God coming to dwell with his people. Um, And it's a, it's pictured as a city, and you you can't you can't read through this without thinking about you know our stu- going along with our study with Genesis. You can't read Revelation twenty one and not think about Hebrews and how it talks about Abram looking forward to a city that has foundations that are built by the Lord, and then this city coming down in Revelation twenty one. That this is ultimately the fulfillment of the promises that we see here in Genesis. That, that this land, these cities, this is your glory that's being promised to you, Abram. And there's a spiritual connotation to it as well. It's not just the physical land that's subjected to weeds and death. The land that Abram would have looked out upon was still under the curse. And so Abram was, was spiritual enough to say, okay, that's great. But the book of Hebrews says he was looking forward to something even greater than the greatest Canaan had to offer. Uh, he was looking forward to a, a, a different a different promise. Um, he understood that there was more to come in the future. God also promised a seed here. Not only does he promise land to Abram, he promises a seed. And it's a countless seed. 
a countless seed, a seed that can't be numbered. And we'll see that God continues to expand upon this understanding. Here he ties it to the dust of the earth. Later we'll see him illustrate it with the sands by the seashore, uh, with the stars in the sky. The communication being that it's a great seed, an innumerable seed promised to Abram. But it's helpful to understand uh, this seed in two different contexts as well. There's two seeds of Abram, a natural and a spiritual. So when we think in terms of, okay, who are the descendants of Abram? We see two different groups of people. In Romans chapter 4, verse 11, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Romans chapter 9 picks up this idea but in Galatians chapter 3 verse 7 Galatians chapter 3 verse 7 says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. In verse 29 of Galatians chapter 3, And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. And then in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. There's a a natural physical understanding of God fulfilling these promises, as well as a future spiritual fulfillment for these promises. So Abram promised a nation. Yes, the nation of Israel springs up from his seed. Promised the land? Yes, Abram and his descendants dwell in the land of Canaan. They possess it as Joshua leads them in there to conquer. But there's also greater fulfillment that we see later on as the New Testament writers tie the fact that everyone who's a believer, Jew and Gentile, can count Abraham as their spiritual father. That his offspring is not just tied to the nation of Israel, it's tied to many nations. Many nations that the Bible says are becoming one nation. First Peter says that, that as believers, we are a holy nation. So is Abram the father of a nation? Absolutely. He fathered the nation of Israel. But he's also considered the father of a spiritual nation, the nation of the church, uh, those that make up the people of faith. And so God has fulfilled promises in ways that maybe even Abraham didn't fully understand at that time. Natural fulfillment, but then also spiritual fulfillment as well and god is reviewing these promises and affirming these promises to abraham here as he uh, stands before the land but then we can also see that christ is the ultimate seed of abram so even in fulfilling it through uh, uh, an innumerable amount of people both national israel and spiritual people ultimately it's fulfilled in christ the new testament tells us that he's the ultimate seed of abram he's the one that is the promised one that comes to save all people. And so all kinds of fulfillment that we can look to in the New Testament from these promises that God gives Abram in the Old Testament. The implication here is that God's promises were meant to capture Abram's view, whether he gazes up or down. Think about it. He's, he's wanting him to, to understand that if he looks down as he's, and he's about to tell him to walk through the land, 
As he's walking through the land, if he's looking to the ground, he's able to see the dust of the earth. And, and it's a reminder to him that while it's a small family right now, his family will be expanded upon. As he looks to the skies, as he looks to the sky at night, as he lays outside of his tent and he looks to the stars, it's another reminder of God's promises and what he plans to do in his life. God wants to capture Abram's view. He wants to capture it so that whatever Abram's doing, wherever he's looking, he's reminded of these great promises. These same promises that we're called to review constantly in our own life. God wants to capture our view. He wants us to constantly be reminded of his promises as well in our own life. Our second point this morning, Abram embraces God's promises. So first, God tells him to lift up his eyes and look upon the land. Now he tells him to lift up his feet and to walk the land. This is an act by God where he's calling Abram to respond in obedience in belief of these promises. So God's not just dumping promises upon Abram and then not asking anything of him. He does ask Abram to express faith. Do you believe what I'm saying? And the response that Abram is to have is to walk the land. It says in verse 16, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. Abram is called to believe through his action. He's called to walk the land as an act of belief that it's his land. This is an act of possession. A lot of times when kings would come to power, they would ceremonially walk the borders of their area as an indication, as a sign of them embracing responsibility and possession of that area. God's calling upon Abram to do something very similar. He's not giving the land to him yet, but he's calling upon him to act in faith, to walk that land as a demonstration that he believes God is going to give it to him. Believing promises often requires movement by us in Scripture. Faith operates with action. This is reiterated to Joshua in Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. He too is called to believe through action. It says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. We must battle tendencies to act contrary to his, to his promises. And this is what we talked about earlier. Our natural tendency is to act contrary to God's promises. We, we, we get into a situation where we need to rely on God's promises, and we act contrary to those. We said the children of Israel, they should have trusted in God's provision in the wilderness, and they, they deviate from that, and they grumble and complain and think that they're going to starve. They even talk about going back to Egypt. Those kings that are chronicled for us in both the Chronicles and the Kings books, constantly, time and time again, wanting to make treaties with these people to protect themselves versus relying on God's protection and provision for them. We have to battle tendencies to act contrary to God's promises. The implication for us here is that we must learn to act based on the promises that God are given to us by God. We must learn to act based on the promises given to us by God. Those who believe the promises of God's provision may be generous 
with their possessions. So tying it back to the context of Abraham here. He believed in God's provision. He had already gone through a time of famine and had mistrusted God in that situation. Now he's in a, in a situation in a time of plenty. And yet that plenty is being attacked by this conflict between him and Lot. And Abram says, you know what? I'm not going to fight to provide for myself. I'm not going to tell Lot to go over here and leave the best land for me so that I can provide for my family. He says, I'm going to trust God's provision here. Lot, you pick where you want to go. I'm going to trust that God's going to take care of my family here. Those that believe in God's promises of provision can be very generous with their possessions. God calls upon us in the New Testament to be generous as givers to those that are in need and to not worry about our own provision but to be faithful to help provide for others, trusting that ultimately God provides for our needs. Constantly, Jesus is affirming this to his disciples, that if God cares for his own creation, if God cares for for birds and for flowers and adorns them with what they need, how much more will he care for his own children? So those who believe in God's promises of provision can be very generous with their possessions. When we believe God's promises of provision, it frees us from being greedy it frees us from feeling anxiety. It frees us from covetousness where we're, where we're desiring things that we don't have. Believing promises of God's provision protects us from these sinful tendencies. Protects us from thinking that we've got to claim things that we need ourselves. Number three, Abram rejoices over promises. He's lifted up his eyes. He's seen the land. He's lifted up his feet, and he now walks the land, the Bible tells us. It says in verse 18, So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. There he built an altar to the Lord. So after he walks the land, he settles down here in Hebron, and he lifts his heart and prays to God for these promises. He establishes a place of worship where he settles. He prioritizes formal public worship for his family. He follows that same pattern that that Enosh established back before the flood, that God's faithful gather for public worship. And so we participate in that again this morning. We gather as, as believers, as faithful believers, worshiping together, lifting our hearts in praise to God for his promises to us. What we, what we learn again here is that worship is the appropriate response to God's faithful promises. Worship is the appropriate response. The faithful cling to God's promises and continue worshiping him in light of their belief. As believers, we're called to cling to God's promises and worship him in light of that belief in those promises. Believing that God has good intent for us. Believing that God provides for us. Believing that we don't have to deviate from his provision. Believing God's good promises. You know, to kind of, as you're writing that down, to kind of tie it to things that are prominent in the news right now. There's a lot of attention being given to... uh, uh, people stepping outside of their their marriage for fulfillment of their desires right now. Um, the guy that 
that made the fortune through Subway is under so much pressure and heat right now for, for being found with, uh, with child pornography and is, has been arrested and, and is, is most likely headed to jail for a very long time. And if you've read any of that story, it's been an ongoing 10-year investigation. And I'm stunned that it took 10 years for this to finally get dealt with because there was so much evidence early on that, that he, was, he was so wrong in so many things that he was doing. Um, you may have read some about the the website that offers uh, affairs to men or women. Uh, you log on to this website, and, and there you can meet people that are open to an affair. And these people hacked it and have published everybody's information. And there's been several Christian people that have, a, have an influence in social media to come out that they were a part of it. And they're now having to offer confession. There was one Christian YouTuber that I was watching yesterday that was confessing that, hey, me and my wife are working through this. Um, another guy that, that came out. These are individuals that, that aren't trusting in God's good provision, aren't trusting in God's promises, that, that he provides the answer to those desires and trying to step out and do things differently, deviating from his provision. The, the, the way we battle those sinful desires, those temptations, that lustful temptation as men and women is to cling to God's good promises. Whether we're single or married, there's promises for both groups of people this morning that God is good and has good intent for both. Okay, We cling to God's promises. We worship him in light of those good promises. And this leads to, to what I wanted to, to discuss, kind of to wrap this up, this section. We're called to walk by faith. 2 Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. For we walk by faith, not by sight. You'll remember a couple of weeks ago, we said Martin Luther, quote, it says, Faith apprehends the things that are not present, and contrary to reason, regards them as being present. Okay. The test that God gives us is, will we trust him in times of plenty and in times of need? There are times when we approach a situation that we have to believe and trust in God, even though we don't see it. That we're walking by faith, believing that God is going to do things, even though we may not be able to see that he's doing things. So we approach different circumstances, people, and things that tempt us. And Satan wants to use those things to bring out the worst in us. Okay, so... Satan, Satan is maybe involved in the famine that comes into Abram and Lot's family situation. And he wants to use that circumstance to bring out the worst in Abram. And it absolutely comes about there. Abram distrusts God. He flees to, to Egypt. He lies and manipulates and becomes very deceptive, trying to guard and protect himself. The worst in Abram is coming out in that situation. But we see that God wants to use similar circumstances for the exact opposite. God wants to use circumstances and people and things to test you and bring out the best in you. We see some of the best coming out in Abram here. As God's working in his life, he's dealing with the fact that he's got so much stuff. It's causing conflict within his family. And he trusts God and says, okay, I can let go of this stuff. I don't have to cling to this stuff and try to preserve it and, and take care of myself. Lot, what do you need? What, what does your family need? Let's make sure that your family is provided for. God's going to take care of me. God uses circumstances and people and things that tempt us. He uses those things to bring out the best in us. It's just a matter of our response in those situations. Will we cling to promises 
Or will we forget those promises and deviate from those promises and try to work things out on our own? You'll remember that we've been saying all through this this study on Abram that salvation is ultimately based on promises that God makes to us, not promises that we make to him. It's not, God, I'll do this, this, and this if you'll save me. It's, I've done this and this and this for you to save you. Okay, And it's that faith in those promises that sustains us and causes us to persevere and causes us to overcome the world. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Our faith is, is what perseveres us. Our ongoing belief in God's promises. You remember, Abram left. His call to leave his home was appealing because he believed that the promises that God made to him were better than what he currently had. John Piper says, we battle the false promises of the world with better promises from God. Okay, so when we face trials and difficulties and temptations this week, the way that we overcome the world The way that we find victory is that we cling to God's promises and we believe that the promises he makes are better than the promises we're going to hear from the world this week. And I want to show you this from a passage in 2 Peter and I want to let someone else show it to you versus me trying to explain it. I don't know if you're familiar with um, John Piper's... um, Early ministry is his tool that's available on desiring God. It's called look at the book. It's basically where he takes a passage of scripture like this and you can watch him work through a passage of scripture and how he studies it. And it's real similar to how I study if we're going through a New Testament passage. So it's a little I study a little bit differently when it's narrative like we're doing in Genesis. But if we were going through Second Peter, as I was watching this yesterday, it's very similar to my approach to how I study Scripture. And I've, I've shared with you some of that approach before. I thought it would be helpful for this morning, rather than me just explaining to you the depth of Second Peter 1, 3 through 4, to also kind of kill two birds with one stone, like, let's talk about it, but let me show you how you can study Scripture as well and reap some of the depth versus me just sharing it with you, okay? So we're going to let him walk us through. It's about nine minutes, so uh, let him walk us through this passage and how he studies it. I need to make sure. Do you have to do something back there? I don't know. I don't know if it's tied to the speakers right now. Long time. Turn that up. I got a little scared that that might be too loud. Let's uh, test it and see because it was pretty low when I first played it. Oh, yeah, that's great. Anybody feel like that was too loud?
in that passage of scripture, the, the implication there, it's, it's a pattern of what sanctification looks like. So we've been called to glory and excellence, and we've been given the power to, to get there. In the same way Abram was called out of his life and called to go to a new life, we too, part of our salvation is us being called out of sin and called into glory. Okay, And we've been given the divine power to achieve that, to get there. And the way that gets accomplished, according to Peter in that passage, is that we cling to those promises. Okay? It's what we've been talking about all through Abram's uh, study here. We cling to promises and we believe that those promises are better than the desires that we have for the things of this world. Abram had to come to a point where he believed that the promises being extended to him by God were better than what he was achieving in his home country. He said, you know what? I'm, I'm leaving. I'm clinging to these promises as being better. He's clinging to those promises. And the same is true for us in the New Testament. We escape the corruption of the world. We, we escape the, the old life, the old man, by clinging to the promises that God has given us, that they're better than what the world has to offer. And it leads us to his glory and excellence. And it requires that we have a knowledge of those promises, right? He tied it to the concept of knowledge, reviewing the knowledge that we have. Going back to what we said at the summary statement, reviewing God's promises, constantly being mindful of those promises. Now, these five promises are the promises that I gave you a couple of weeks ago, promises that are tied to the gospel that should keep us persevering in our faith. Forgiveness, that God has cleared our past, present, and future record of wrong. That, that our sin has been dealt with and forgiveness has been extended to us. That we don't have to do anything, we don't have to do anything to get God to love us now. And I was sharing with, with our middle schoolers on Tuesday of this week that, that there's nothing that we have to do to get God to love us. That God loved us when we were sinners, the Bible teaches us. Every other religion says, you've got to do this, 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 and this, and this to get God to love you or to accept you. The gospel message says that he's already done everything to accept you, that he loved you when you were sinful. So forgiveness, that's a, that's a reassuring promise that as we fail this week, we're reminded that God has promised to forgive us. Freedom, that God rescues us from the dominance of sin and releases us from the demands of the law and empowers us to do good. Family, God relates to us as his children and he places us into the safe confines of a spiritual family. Such an assuring promise that we are joined together spiritually with other believers now and that he relates to us as our father. Four, favor that God's good intent rests upon our lives. So as we go through situations and we, we had people express situations this morning that are, that are trying situations, times of uncertainty, that that promise of favor and good intent we cling to that in the midst of uncertainty, when we don't know what's going on with our family, when we don't know what's going on with our children, that we cling to the promise that God has good intent for us in that situation. And then number five, future, that God promises us new bodies that experience eternal joy. That even as we pursue glory and excellence, as Second Peter talks about, we still fall short. We're still, we're still uh, being saved from our sin. But that future promise of hope and glory, that we will receive glory and excellence down the road, is an assuring promise for us this week. So the application, uh, this is not, you're not expected to be able to read this. This is simply for me, because I didn't have room in my notes. So don't even think about reading it, but I do want to read it to you um, as we kind of tie all this together. John Piper commenting on the verses that he 
shared with us through look at the book when he preached on this. He said, very practically, I think this means we must day by day go to the word of God and search for great promises. Fix one or two in your mind and hold them there before you all day. Okay, so what that means is, is that you can stop, you can step back and evaluate and say, okay, as I go into this week, what are some anticipated struggles that I may face? And all of us are going to answer that question differently. We all are facing different things this week. Okay, I'm coming out of two of the worst weeks that I've ever had at Trinity because of what's been, what we've been dealing with with our technology. Okay, so, so I've got my own things that I'm preparing to face this week. Anxious feelings, frustrated feelings, um, prideful feelings of looking like a dunce in front of my parents because we can't get this stuff figured out. Like it's a, it's a dealing with pride right now that I'm struggling with one wanting to fix this, but one wanting to realize that a lot of my desires to fix it is so that I look better in the eyes of my parents. We're all facing difficulties this week, different temptations, different things that we're having to work through. Each one of us needs to identify the promises that we need to cling to this week so that we escape that corruption so that we escape those sinful desires. So he says, fix one or two in your mind and hold them there before you all day. Use them to overcome temptation to sin and to incite you to daring acts of righteousness and love. Notice in the last part of verse four that corruption comes by passion or lust or desire. This means that the battle against corruption is fought on the field of our desires or passions. Sin makes its attack by holding out promises to us for our happiness. If you lie on your income tax return, you will have more money and be happier. If you divorce your spouse, you will be happier. If you brag about winning the game, you will be happier. If you don't upset your relationship with your neighbor by sharing Christ, you will be happier. And sin will always win the battle unless we have the luscious carrot of God's promises hanging clearly in front of our noses. Unless we enter our day armed with one or two precious and very great promises, we will be utterly vulnerable to temptation. But if we hold before our eyes the astonishing things God has promised us now and in the life to come, his divine power will be present and we will escape corruption and be conformed to the image of his son. Therefore, I urge you, search this book for the promises of God and hang them like a carrot in front of your eyes so that they lure you away from sin and towards the likeness of God. To summarize all that, our application as believers, we must regularly treasure and meditate on God's promises in order to battle sinful desires with the superior pleasures that he offers. Most of us know the temptations that we're going to face this week. We'll all encounter things that we weren't prepared for. But a lot of us, if we're strategically planning our week out, and remember that goes back to what we talked about in Genesis 1 and 2, planning our week so that we can rest well in the weekend. So if you were to think through your week, most of us could identify where the struggles are going to come from and the nature of the struggles based on what we've experienced even last week. Most of us can anticipate what this week holds based on what we experienced last week. Things that we're going to experience at work, struggles and frustrations. And it's, it's, it's our needed discipline in our life for us to pause and step back and say, okay, if I'm serious about wanting to reach glory and excellence, and if I'm serious about wanting to escape the corruption of the world, then I have to be proactive. And the way scripture tells me to escape these things is to cling to promises, but not just any promises, not just made up promises, right? Like we don't, we don't, uh, 
me clinging to the promise that God will never flood the earth again is probably not going to help me deal with my pride issue this week, right? That's a great promise. It's a great promise. It's not the one that I need this week. It's not the one that I need this week. Okay, so it's a matter of us saying, okay, which promises do I need to cling to this week? Not just grabbing some promises and saying God is great for this, but saying God is great for this reason. And I need him to be great for this reason because I'm facing the temptation that says that the world will be great for this reason or that I need to do this to achieve what my desire says I need. It's identifying promises, clinging to those promises so that we can reach glory and excellence. So that summary sentence that we started with, reviewing the promises of God regularly, it's a needed discipline for the Christian that hopes to escape the temptations offered by this world. We need to regularly treasure and meditate on God's promises. Abram was doing that. He was meditating on God's promises. It allowed him to be very generous with the land. Lot, let's make sure you're provided for first. We saw him struggle earlier. We saw him struggle earlier with his own provision. Now we see that he's clinging to God's promises. So you may have struggled last week with something. And praise be to God that forgiveness is extended to you. And that can be wiped away. he's, He's faithful to forgive us when we're faithful to confess it. But you can anticipate the coming test this week based on how you failed last week. And say, okay, this week, Satan and the world is not going to get the best of me. I'm going to remind myself of the promises that I forgot last week. I'm going to experience renewed faith this week so that when I'm faced with that test again, I come out on top. That the best in me comes out through the power of the Holy Spirit. That that divine power is being channeled through me for his glory, for his excellence. That divine nature being brought to us little by little as we look forward to Jesus coming back when all of this gets dealt with and we do achieve that glory and excellence. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. God, I pray that you would renew in us a desire to study, to know you. Not just for the sake of achieving a scholarly status where we can talk and debate scripture with others. God, give us a desire to to increase our knowledge of you, realizing that it's through that knowledge of you and your promises that we're able to channel that divine power for glory and excellence. God, I pray that we would identify the promises that we need to hold to this week that will help us escape the corruption that's around us, that will help us escape the own desires that we have that we're still fighting. God, help us to realize that that our failures into sin are ultimately a, a lack of believing you and the promises that you've made to us. So God, I pray that we would, we would have the resolve to step back before we even begin this coming week and say, okay, where am I subjected to fall this week? Where, where do I have a tendency to, to be tempted this week? And God, I pray that we would cling to your good promises. God, we look forward to the day where glory and excellence is a reality all the time for us. We look forward to the day that Jesus returns and and new bodies are given to us and sin and death are dealt with one final time. But Father, as we anticipate that day, I I pray that you um, you would remind us of the daily discipline needed to review your promises and to identify the promises that we need today to serve you faithfully. We thank you that you've made promises to us and that we can trust in, thus says the Lord.
God, I pray that we would be reminded of those things constantly this week. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.